Today is Palm Sunday, and I would like you to, if you would, would you turn in your scripture to Luke chapter 19, verse 29 through 40. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word today as it is life to us. Help us today to listen and to apply it to our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you taking, (laughs) why are you loosing that colt? So they had the opportunity to answer and respond as he instructed. Verse 34, it says, They said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. They threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd in verse 39 and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So here we have the passage of scripture that we, uh, we come to at the place of Palm Sunday, understanding that Easter is next week and we have the, the memorial that we take a, a moment and see the life of Jesus and the chronological history of what happened, the events that took place this week. I'm going to give you a little bit of context so that you understand or so that you're reminded if you don't know. Um, this is the, during the feasts that are going on in the city of Jerusalem, which would have been known as Passover. There are still those who celebrate this today. Um, and so during this Passover, there would have been pilgrims from all over the countryside that would have been coming into the city in order to bring sacrifices, in order to come and meet family, in order to celebrate. I was talking with Sonny a little bit before service. They've got a big meal planned today. They've got family. Everybody's coming together. This is the same sort of thing that would happen in Jerusalem. So what's going on there, though, in the context of the day that they're living in is that they have been occupied. Jerusalem has now been occupied by Romans. And so Rome has taken over. You see in the story of Jesus as he's going throughout his life and his ministry, you see where the occupation has taken place. And there's these questions of, you know, who should we give our money to? Should we pay our taxes? These guys are jerks and they conquered us and all this kind of stuff. They've got all these kind of questions that are going on in the timeline of their history. And so we come to the place where Jesus is at the end of his ministry. This is the last week of his life here on earth. And these are the last acts that he'll do during this week. And so the reason why we have to look at that is because it leads us to the cross. But we don't stop at the cross either. It leads us to an empty tomb, the Bible says, that when he was crucified, he was laid to rest. He was there for three days, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. It's because of the cross and the empty tomb that we're able to have the spiritual life and the 
the redeemed relationship with Jesus Christ uh, that we would not otherwise have. So to give you that concept, just to have that uh, little bit of history, it helps us. The, the question that people have asked before, and I wanted to ask it this week, is why is Jesus riding on a donkey? Some of you may have asked this question before. You may know the answer to it. But I just felt like we should go through and look at a little bit of the prophecy regarding the Messiah and see how significant it is that Jesus came riding a colt into town and that he did it during the Passover festival or feast. The prophet Zechariah prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. In Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, this is what Zechariah says. He says about the coming of the Messiah, who is known as the Savior and the long-awaited King of Israel. It says this in verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. He's lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. It's interesting that he's riding a donkey because in our concept today, we might think of that as being a lesser animal. But the truth is, is that it was an animal of peace and it was a royal animal. They had many in the stables of the kings. And so he came riding on one that was never sat upon. There are some significant aspects there. We can't really get into all of it today. But he came riding on that colt into Jerusalem. The reason for that is because he is royalty and because he is fulfilling the prophecy of old. It's important for you to know in that portion of scripture in Zechariah, it says that it's not a war horse. Kings would ride horses and they would bring in chariots when they were conquering a city. They're not talking about Jesus being, and I know we use the word lowly, meek, and mild uh, during Christmas and other times, and you get the idea that he was effeminate, that he had, you know, uh, soft hands and, and, and couldn't really do anything, couldn't pick up anything. No, he's a carpenter. He was a man's man. He didn't have the blonde, long hair, and blue eyes that we think of him as having. Jesus was a man's man, but he was also God's man on the earth. He had experienced a lot of things in his life before he came into the ministry. And then as being in the ministry, he was an example and a model of leadership for the guys who were tagging around with him, were going around with him. And so we see this picture of Jesus, but we hear those words lowly, meek, and mild. It's because he is coming in to usher peace. He is not riding in on a war horse. And this is what gets everybody up in a tizzy because they think, wait a second, the Messiah is supposed to save us. Isn't he just going to come in at like a fire and just burn everything up and kill everybody that's our enemy? He's going to set us free from Roman rule. This is going to... But they had the wrong idea. As I was studying this, I remember hearing the, the passage of scripture about the two disciples fighting on uh, fighting about, and their mom fighting about who's going to sit on which side of Jesus when he reigns. They had the wrong idea. So here Jesus is 
defeating those ideas that they had in their head. But he's coming, and it says that he's coming to speak peace to the nations, that he'll break the battle bow, that he'll cut off the chariot and the horse. His dominion shall be to the ends of the earth, the Bible says, and because of the blood of the covenant, he'll set prisoners free from the waterless pit. So the king who rides the colt will be a king of peace and not of war. The king who rides the colt will be king of the world. He'll be a universal king whose dominion extends to every race, every people, every age, every time zone. He is the king of the world. Remember this. There are times in Scripture, and we've talked about it, even signifying from the days of Abraham, where God gave us insight in the Scripture to say, yes, this is for all people, not just for the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. I think it's interesting to note that the person who recognizes him, there are two individual characters that, are, that speak to me out of the life or the, these moments of Jesus. In this time, during his crucifixion and during this, uh, the setup of these events, it's a Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, a Gentile who says, this guy is the real deal. He's the one who recognizes the innocence of Jesus. It's also a thief that's on the cross next to Jesus, who Jesus says to him, not hey, Joker, you're going to be in the pit and this guy's going to be in paradise, but he does say to the repentant thief, you got it right. I'll see you today in paradise. It's incredible to think about those characters and how the blood of Jesus had power then and still has power now. In fact, Scripture says that it speaks a better word. It still cries out for the salvation of all people in all places, regardless of geography, economy, or anything else. The king who rides the colt will set his people free from the pit through the blood of the covenant. It's so incredible to think about that last supper. There are so many details in the night, that night that he was betrayed that we, we read that passage of scripture that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians when he talks about observing the Lord's Supper. He says that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he ate and he gave thanks. He also took a cup and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant which will be poured out for you. So he was already giving them a snippet of what was about to happen. These guys were a little bit hard-headed. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that, uh, but they were a little hard-headed. In fact, during the Passover, it said throughout the tradition of Passover and through the instructions of those who would have honored the, the observance of Passover, that they would sing what's called the Halal, or the Hallel, you might say, but it's a passage of scripture from Psalms 115 to 118. Do you want to guess that in Psalm 118 is the passage of Scripture that says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? They would have been singing a hymn that night, not the old rugged cross, after they ate dinner. They would have been singing a hymn, a song, because of being Passover time. One of those songs that would have been sung would have been the psalm from 118 that we read in scripture where Jesus is with his disciples actually singing the words, basically, I'm here, I am coming, I am arrived, I'm about to give the sacrifice that's always been needed and looked for. 
So he'll deliver his people through the shedding of blood, not in battle, but because of the blood of the covenant. The Bible gives us strong warnings about us not wrestling against flesh and blood, but about it being a spiritual challenge in our life. And so we've got to understand that Jesus came and he'll come again someday and there will be a physical peace. There will be that that comes that enables us to have no bloodshed and all of those things. But right now we have to understand that he's come to deliver us spiritually. And that's what he wanted them to see as well in those days, to set the captives free from the realm known as the pit, which would have been an Old Testament term that you could look up and see other places it's referenced. This blood that was poured out on the cross is how he's able to fulfill the promise that he gives that day to the thief and says, today I'm going to see you in paradise. It's because of the gift of the blood, his own blood and sacrifice. So the palm branches that are mentioned, we call it Palm Sunday, and uh, people are throwing their clothes down. They're taking their, their coats off, and they're throwing it on the floor. They've taken some of their own clothes, and they've put it on top of the donkey so that he could ride on something. Uh, so as he's coming into town with all of these Passover pilgrims and all of these people, you've got to see that people are now grabbing palms, and they're waving them, and they're praising God, and they're, they're shouting, they're chanting Psalm 118. Go with me there to Psalm 118. It's a song that, as I said, was sung during the Feast of Passover and even the Feast of Tabernacles. Scripture says that uh, during this time, they would have been honoring Jesus by saying, you are the Messiah. So here it is in verse uh, 19 of Psalm 118. It says this, open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. Verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. If you think about the imagery of Jesus being cast away and being rejected by his own people, he has now become the chief cornerstone upon which the, the, the church and all of our belief is built. Verse 25 of Psalm 118 through 29 You've got to get the concept that they would have sung this, they would have heard this as they were growing up as religious people in the Jewish faith and in that culture. They would have heard this over and over again every year. Verse 25, save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. You hear some of the things that we understand Christ to be in that same passage of Scripture, that he is the light of the world that's been given to us. It says, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. That's where the sacrifice was given. And I think about the, the altars that were made in the Old Testament that were built as part of the temple and then the tabernacle. And now Christ, being the fulfillment of that, is being tied to an altar, which would be the cross. Give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his mercy endures forever. 
Can you imagine telling your kids that all their life and then being there that day with all of those pilgrims who would have been seeing Jesus come in, some confused about why he was coming and how he was coming and why didn't he do it this way? How many of you have ever been confused in your own life about why God did this and why it hasn't worked out the way you thought it should? And yet here he is, the fulfillment of all of scripture in this moment. He's going to the temple, the Bible says, to offer a sacrifice, an offering of thanks. So when the crowds greet him with palm branches and with those chants, they're reenacting Psalm 118. They're living it out in in that very moment. The king is not simply coming into the city saying, open to me the gates, but he is going somewhere. He's going up to offer a sacrifice So Jesus is the king of Israel and he's come to the city and he's going up to the altar for a sacrifice. The sacrifice that he offers is not of bulls or goats, Hebrew says, but it is actually he himself that was offered for you and I. It's interesting that he starts that by taking that last supper with his disciples and giving them the the snapshot of the blood and the body of Christ, what it was going to represent, and that they were able to partake in that. The significance of Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry, what we know as his triumphal entry, did not seem very triumphant. If we were to do it in Hollywood dollars, it would look a whole lot bigger and a whole lot better. He'd be riding the biggest horse ever. He'd be having the flashiest armor. He'd have troops of chariots before and after him. He'd, uh, there would be some amazing things that would come as a result. But here Jesus comes in an unsuspecting way. It's important for us to take time to think about that. Think about our life and think about how this applies to us and how Christ has saved us. And sometimes we don't see the power of it or we don't understand the scope of it. We don't see how he's been trying to get through because he truly is lowly, meek, and mild. But he comes in and he comes in to offer peace. We've been doing a series called Overwhelmed. And uh, if you don't know, I can share the testimony or my wife can share the testimony uh, of what happened to Brighton uh, a week and a half ago. And... um, We were overwhelmed. But the God who lives in heaven, the only living God, who sent his son to die on a cross for me and to raise from the dead so that he could offer me eternal life is the thing that I can have hope in because he is a God of peace. He gives me peace in the midst of the storm. He can calm the storm. He can let me weather the storm. When I'm overwhelmed, God is a God of peace. We love him to be a God of war sometimes. You ever thought that? I know some people I'd like God to go to war with. <clears throat> I might be on their list though. For Never mind. But he's a king of peace. His kingdom extends beyond the race of the Jewish people. It extends beyond the ethnicity or the economy, the geography of the Middle East, beyond our family of origin, regardless of the things you've done or not done in this life. The Bible says that he was sent so that none should perish. None should perish. It might be an easy thought when we're thinking about how good we are. But what about those who have murdered? What about those who have raped? What about those who have done horrible, horrible things? But for the grace of God, we would all be in the same boat, and we are. We need salvation. It doesn't matter how good you think you look. 
we need salvation. And this time of the year is a good time for us to have that reminder that his kingdom is not exclusive. It's inclusive of everyone in every age, in every time zone, in every place. He extends his kingdom even to us. The Bible says that we as Gentiles, if you don't have any Jewish blood, I don't know if I do or not, I guess we all have something mixed in at some point, but we as Gentiles have been grafted into the tree, to the branch of David. He is the king of all the world sent for us to be the sacrifice that we could not give. The blood of his covenant has been shed so that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. The Bible tells us, and we believe here, that he is the only way to heaven, Jesus Christ, and he remains the only thing you need in order to get there. We talk about it all the time. It doesn't matter your habit, your hang-up, your hurt. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've left undone. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how good you've been or how bad you've been. Jesus will take you. And you don't have to get clean before he takes you. He'll take you nonetheless. With that thought in your heart, would you stand with me today?